up, Lamb Fam? Welcome to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. Before I introduce our guests today, make sure to help us spread the Lamb Fam word by tapping that subscribe button and leaving a review. Let's get to it. So today we have a super awesome guest. Ariel Mendoza, whom has just recently experienced giving birth to her rainbow baby, Onyx, who unfortunately did not make it. Ariel, thank you for being here with us to share your story. Thank you for having me. So why don't we just get started with you kind of just giving us a little bit of a background on kind of who you are, where you're from, that kind of a thing. Yeah, so I am actually from Minnesota, near you, kind of. I'm from St. Paul. (laughs) And um, I'm 24 years old, and my partner, Will, and I, we're not married, but we've been together for about two years now, which isn't that long considering we've had three losses. I had two miscarriages, and then the most recently, I had my son, Onyx, and he was born prematurely and passed away shortly after. Um, So that's kind of just a little summary of my story was lost and it's taken up a big portion of our relationship so yeah I can I mean I can imagine yeah. I've had four miscarriages myself I've never actually given birth or anything like that and I can imagine that that adds like a whole nother a whole nother level to a relationship for sure yeah it definitely does when uh, when was your first loss so my first loss was in September of 2017. I had a mis- miscarriage. Okay. And then um, I unexpectedly got pregnant the month afterwards. I was on birth control, but I got it pregnant again. And then I had a natural miscarriage that time. And I was diagnosed with secondary infertility a few months afterwards. Okay. Um, how, how long after your second loss did you get pregnant with Onyx? So I believe I was diagnosed with secondary infertility in January, and then I got pregnant with Onyx in April, actually around the same time of the due date of our first baby. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so that just, it, like, I found out about him on Mother's Day weekend. So just, like, oh all these goodness. big dates made me feel like he's going to be our take-home yeah, baby, you this know? this is it. This yeah. is it. hmm for sure. So how, how... How was that pregnancy with Onyx? Like, did, was everything going good throughout the whole pregnancy? So, so, at six weeks, I was diagnosed with hyperemesis, okay. which is basically really, really horrible morning sickness. I was throwing up literally 20 times a day, every single day, constantly in the hospital to get fluid replacements, things like that. Mm-hmm. But other than that horrible sickness... The pregnancy was completely fine. I had a lot of ultrasounds mm-hmm. because of my previous losses, and I was just really anxious. Yeah. But other than that, there was no signs that anything was wrong, and it was the furthest I'd ever gotten in a pregnancy. Yeah, that's so crazy. And the anxiety that you feel during a pregnancy, like, after you've already experienced miscarriages, is so real. Like, Yeah, it's horrible. It's a whole nother level of anxiety, that's for sure. It definitely is, and I have an anxiety disorder to begin with, I so do when too. you add all of that on top of it, my doctor was really, really nice. She would all, like always let me come in for extra appointments just because mm-hmm. she knew like how horrible it was in my mind just to be thinking about it all the time. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Are you, have you ever gone on medication for it? When I was a teenager, I did. And mm-hmm. it worked for me at the time. But at this point, it's just like, it's a lot of work to be going through trying different medication. I yeah. feel like. So I found mm-hmm. hope in other ways, but it That's definitely awesome. helped when I was a teenager. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I used, I mean, I used to be on medication, um, like in my early twenties. And then when I got married, I went off of it. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want to be on anxiety medication when we started trying for a baby. Yeah. Um, and I was able to handle, like, I was finding other ways to handle my anxiety and I was able to control it. But after my fourth loss, I ended up having to go back on it. Um, and I'm actually still on it throughout this fifth pregnancy. So, it's- yeah. I, I don't know if I'll have to use it in the future, but I think it's definitely something I'll be talking to my OB with just because there's so much anxiety when you're pregnant after loss or even just like the in-between trying to conceive stage too is mm-hmm. just full of anxiety. Oh, it's so rough. It's so rough. Yeah. Especially, especially if you suffer from anxiety in the first place. <laughs> yes, it's definitely just like more and more added on top of it. So did you, did you ever get to a point where you were like feeling Onyx move or anything like that? Um, so he was really, really active, but for how active he was, I didn't feel him move as much. I felt like flutters and like mm-hmm. thumps. Yeah. But I never felt like a lot of active movement. Okay. So that for me, it was like around that 20 week mark that I started to feel mm-hmm. like the yeah. actual movements. When did you, cause you went into labor around that 20 week mark, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I had him at 20 weeks and four days, and I went into labor two days before that. Oh, okay. So did they give you any medications or anything to try to, like, stop labor, or how did that work? So it was really complicated because I thought I was having Braxton Hicks contractions, but they Mm -hmm. were really painful. So I went to the ER, and they just did some different tests, and they found out that my cervix was dilated, and the amniotic sac was starting to bulge out and at that okay. point they could they couldn't really do anything because of risk of infection okay so um I honestly I wasn't even put on bed rest I wasn't mm-hmm. given any medication it was kind of a let's wait and see and mm-hmm. it was kind of horrible because they just told me like hold your baby in and yeah. obviously like I couldn't control that and so um I went home after staying in the hospital for like 10 hours. They had me upside down for 10 hours, hoping that the sack would go back in. Really? Yeah, it was um, a very uncomfortable experience, but I was upside down for 10 hours in hopes that everything would go back, but it didn't. And then um, two days later, my water broke and then he was born. Okay. So what did they, I mean, what kind of survival rate did they give you at 20 weeks or 20.4? So... They, it's really complicated. Viability is like a very, um, all over the place. Yeah. It's a very like heated topic in my head because if I was at a different hospital or a different country or anything like that could determine different outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, in Minnesota, there are two hospitals that have, um, different, um, like ideas of viability and it's one's 23 weeks and the other is 24. And so they don't resuscitate until you're at least 23 weeks really yes and so he was um a few weeks shy of that and so okay um they didn't really give me any percentage because they were like he's not even at viability so okay now did he did did he survive for a while 
He did. It was really unexpected because they told us he was too small to even like breathe on his own or anything. And so I expected that he would be stillborn, but he was born alive and he survived for 46 minutes. Oh my goodness. How was that like emotionally, like being able to, you know, hold him and meet him and all that? Well, I had prepared myself to honestly give birth to a dead baby because that's what they told me. And so I had gone through all those emotions for a couple of days and I thought like, okay, I'm ready, even though you're never going to be ready. But I thought I can do this. And then he came out and my mom was like, he's kicking. And he started to move when they put him on my chest. And that was just like surreal because it felt like he was like a regular size baby. And he was like doing all the normal things that babies do. He was just too small Mm -hmm. to, um, be helped I guess and so Mm -hmm. it was really really surreal and really unexpected and I had to like completely change my mindset from what I was prepared for for like another thing and I didn't think he would survive for as long as he did all of the nurses kept commenting like we're keeping we're gonna keep checking his heartbeat but we're like really surprised that it's still there so oh my gosh that's so crazy yeah so crazy so were you I mean were you holding him then when he took his last breath or yeah, so I don't technically think he, like, took breaths because okay. they said his lungs weren't anywhere near developed enough. Okay. Um, but he was on my chest and he was moving and I did, like, skin to skin. The hospital that, was, that I was at was really awesome about still doing things that would happen in, like, a normal birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to hold him. He was on my chest and, yeah. I, I love your post that you did about you know, the 10 things that people have said to me that you shouldn't say to, you know, someone who's either dealt with miscarriage or, you know, stillbirth or whatever. I I did a post like that as well. I mean, a lot of our things were extremely similar. Yeah. What? I mean, how have other people been, you know, that are close to you throughout this journey? Um, I think initially people said all of those things I think they're very very common I got a lot of feedback from other families on that that like they also experience the same things so it seems Mm -hmm. to be very stereotypical of people to react that way Mm -hmm. um my immediate family my mom my stepdad were both in the room when um Onyx was born and then my siblings came to meet him uh soon afterwards and so all of us and Will like reacted in a very different way than like the outside world who didn't get to meet him did I think they all had a lot of feelings about um like he wasn't fully a baby and he like we shouldn't be feeling how we're feeling and like when are we going to be over it and it's really not that big of a deal and things like that I think it's really hard for people to understand it unless they've been through it and some of the things that are said I truly think people are like trying to help and it's almost like I don't know if it's the same for you but for me it's almost like I'm not looking for help like I don't need you to try to make me feel better I just I just want you to listen and you know and understand (laughs) yeah there's like a immediate reaction that people have to like fix it and so I often had to explain like you don't have to fix anything it's okay that I'm sad it's okay that I'm feeling this way I just need you to like hold space for me not try to fix it exactly I you know you do a really good job on your Instagram and your blog of you know like I personally feel like I know Onyx oh like that you know when he was born and he 
is very much real, you know, and so you do yeah. a really, you do a really great job of just like spreading the word, um, not only on miscarriage, but also on, you know, losing a baby yeah. as well. Um, I love that you still consider Onyx your rainbow baby. Can you like oh. share, can you share a little bit about like why you do that? Yeah. So because he was the furthest along I ever got in a pregnancy, I had those naive thoughts that I was safe once I got to 12 weeks. And mm-hmm. so I thought, okay, he's going to be the baby that we get to take home. And so I started really associating him with, like, everything that's a rainbow baby. And, like, I was obsessed with getting everything that had rainbows on it that was in, like, the Target baby aisle. And I just <laughs> thought that he was going to be our rainbow. And so when I got to 20 weeks, it just was even more emphasized for me. And I started talking to other people about that. And then after he was born and after he passed away, it... Like, the feelings didn't go away, but I started mm-hmm. getting a lot of comments from other people that, you know, they were hoping that I'd get my rainbow baby someday. And it started to really upset me, even though I knew they weren't coming from a bad place, because I felt like he's still our rainbow. He still brings hope and joy and love. And he doesn't, just because he's not physically here with us anymore, doesn't mean that those feelings are taken away or that our next child will somehow, like, bring more hope, joy, and love than he did, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and totally so does. I still consider him our rainbow for those reasons. Whenever I see, like, rainbow things, I identify them as, like, onyx things. And so it's just never really gone away. And so I felt like I had to redefine it because it's such a big term in the lost community. And mm-hmm. I didn't identify with the way that other people were defining it. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Because he was your rainbow baby. And yeah. he will always be your rainbow baby. Yeah. He, he was born, and you did meet him. And, you know. Right, yes. So I think it's just all of that put together in my mind is just like, that's that's still him to me and to us. Yeah, that's really special. And I think that that's really inspiring for other people as well who are probably feeling the same way. Yeah, um, I hope so. I read that, you know, you sharing... Onyx's story and blogging and YouTubing and you know sharing it on social media is kind of like your way of mothering him still yeah I thought that was really special too if you just want to like touch base on that a little bit um yeah I think after we left the hospital without him I still felt a need to like parent him and the first way that I did that was making a birth announcement and making it known that like um One, he was born, he lived, and then he passed away and kind of making his existence known to the world because I'm not able to see him every single day or hold him or, like, share his pictures online as, like, doting parents do every single day. But sharing his story and, like, spreading awareness and things like that are just a way that I feel like I can continue to parent him and continue to make his existence live on even though he passed away. Mm -hmm. And so I guess... Yeah, just sharing his story is a way that I mother him and, like, taking little monthly photos and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I love that so much. I think that that is amazing. Thank you. Um, Now, what's your guys' next plan? Like, what's your your steps moving forward? Are you guys continuing to try? So, we just met with a perinatologist. And Mm -hmm. they didn't give me advice that I liked, so I'm going to be seeking more opinions. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed with an incompetent cervix, which is a horrible term, but that's initially what put me into labor. 
Okay. And um, moving forward in future pregnancies, there's steps that we can take, but there's different opinions on what those steps are. And so I kind of feel like I am fighting for a baby that doesn't even exist yet. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult um, to just move forward with that because I have a condition, I guess, that um, could cause more and more loss and I just want to prevent it. And so we're not actively trying to conceive at the moment. We're actively trying to find doctors that, that will can help. Like, yeah. And like take our concerns seriously because the doctor that we did see um, didn't want to do anything until the second trimester. And once my cervix began to actually dilate and I just feel like I would rather do things before we get yeah. to that survival point. Yeah. So for sure. For sure. Well, good luck on that. And you'll have to keep us all posted. I'm sure you'll be adding that kind of stuff to your blog and whatnot where we can keep up with it. Yeah, hopefully. A high-risk pregnancy is going to be uh, my life in the future, figuring out how to handle that. Yeah. And how does, I mean, what's that like? Kind of just like knowing that and that can't help the anxiety aspect of it. No, it definitely doesn't help. But I think... Um... That horrible, like, three-loss rule has at least brought me some um, things that I can do moving forward. I feel like, you know, I didn't know about an incompetent cervix even existed before I had Onyx. And so now that I know about it, I can take some steps moving forward. And that eases my anxiety a little bit, but it's still always going to be up in the air. And so I'm never going to not have anxiety about it. And I've kind of gotten to the point where I've just accepted that anxiety is going to be in my life. Yeah, isn't that three, that three loss rule there? I explained it in my ebook is like, a, and this sounds horrible, but it's almost like a win win. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you're, you're either going to end up with that third baby, or you're going to finally have people looking into ways that you can get through your next pregnancy. Yeah, um, no one takes you seriously yeah. really until that point, which is horrible. I know. I I truly think that that's one of the hardest things about pregnancy loss is just kind of feeling like you're always fighting. Like you're always fighting for yourself and your future baby. And yeah. Yeah. You're definitely even fighting for babies that don't even exist yet. And it's so, it's just a really weird thing to think about. Definitely. That that mother bear instinct comes in even when you, (laughs) you know what I mean? Even when you're not. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) It's the baby in your head, the next baby. Yes. Uh, so where can people find you and your story? So uh, I'm mostly active on Instagram, but I also have a YouTube channel that I've just recently started. So there's not a lot of videos on there, but I thought YouTube would be a great way to document my journey in a different way than I do on my blog. So I also mm-hmm. have my blog. Um, those are the three places that I'm most active on right now. Awesome. And your Instagram name is? A Rainbow from Onyx. A Rainbow from Onyx. And that's your YouTube and your blog as well, right? Yes. Okay, awesome. And what can people kind of expect to like learn and see through, you know, you sharing your story on your social media? So right now I'm kind of documenting my life after loss in a more daily basis. I'm doing Advent to Remember right now. So trying to incorporate Onyx into the holidays is mostly what my mind's on at the moment. But I do a lot of just talking about what like motherhood is like in the immediate months after loss because Mm -hmm. I've had to redefine that for myself and figure out what it means for me because I have 
a new identity, but I don't really know what to do with it because I don't have a baby in my arms. Yeah. So that's kind of what my YouTube and my Instagram and my blog is all about, just documenting the immediate months after loss right now. Which is so cool. Like I said, what you're doing is like just incredible. And, you know, you are you are living the legacy of Onyx, which is also really awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I've gotten a lot of support from watching your channel, actually. Oh, everything that good. you do. Yeah. Good. Isn't that crazy? You know, our stories are so different, but we still get it and we can relate in certain ways. And I think that that's really powerful. And that's, that's exactly what this podcast is about, too, is just kind of building the Lamb fam, the Life After Miscarriage family, and um, just, yeah, spreading the word and finding those Me Too girls. Yes, so. definitely. And I feel like whenever I connect with a mom or a parent who's had a loss, like in the back of my mind, I feel like, like our baby's connected, if that makes yeah. sense. And that, mm-hmm. like, that's how we somehow connected because there's no way I would connect with some of these people like in normal daily life. And so totally, yeah, totally. Any advice before we kind of close this out? I guess my advice from what I've learned from having three losses and grieving each one very differently is to just let yourself feel whatever you're feeling and don't apologize and don't feel obligated for anything. I think it's really difficult, especially as women, I feel like, to not feel like we have to apologize or to like not feel obligated, but it's definitely, we need to let ourselves feel whatever we're feeling and not let other people dictate how we should be grieving. Exactly. Love that. All right. So before we close this out, you guys, thank you so much for sharing your story, Ariel, and Onyx's story. It's extremely powerful. I know it's going to help so many people. Um, but just a few places to join the Lamb Fam, just subbing to the podcast for regularly ep- uploaded episodes. You can head to Shelly Metling Life After Miscarriage YouTube and follow my personal journey. And of course, we have two different Instagrams. We have one for this podcast, which is Lamb Fam Podcast, or my personal Instagram at Shelly Metling. Shoot me a message. I'd love to connect. Thank you so much again, Ariel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll chat soon.